0: My name is Ryan Stacey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is presented by StatsCoach. StatsCoach is a hockey analytics company which works with the minor and junior hockey community. For more information, visit www.statscoach.ca or contact StatsCoach at Outlook.com. Today we're joined by Ian Henderson, General Manager of the Nepean Raiders. Ian is an insightful hockey executive who is always willing to share his perspective on the game and various aspects of management. After reviewing some of his content and looking over his resume, he stood out to me as someone who I wanted to have share a story on the podcast, and I was happy to have him accept right away. Working in a league such as the CCHL, Ian brings a new perspective to the podcast, which I think listeners will be intrigued by. With that, here is Ian Henderson, General Manager of the Nippian Raiders. Today we're joined by Ian Henderson, the General Manager of the Nepean Raiders of the CCHL. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Ian. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to hear from you, and I think people are going to be uh, really intrigued to hear about your experience, and you're the first one from uh, the Ottawa area to have on, so it's going to be very exciting. Um, tell people about where you grew up and speak to your involvement in sports from a young age.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in outside of a small town called Avonmore, Ontario. Uh, uh, Avonmore had a population of about 350 um, and it's about 20 minutes north of Cornwall as a reference and about 45 to 50 minutes east of Ottawa. So to give you some a little bit of the geography there um, so it was good. I was an, I'm an only child um, so I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere which was great. It, it taught me you know how to um, occupy my own time and and, you know, I, I spent a lot of time playing hockey out in the, the fields because there's always ice pads created out there naturally. So I'd carry my net and my stick and my skates out and go play there. And I played a lot of sports growing up, like baseball, soccer, um, hockey. And then in, in school, I'd play like volleyball, basketball, stuff like that. Did some track and field. Um, so I was always a very active kid. Um when I first started playing hockey, I didn't know anything about the game. I was awful at it, couldn't stop. Started a little late, I was eight years old when I started. Um, but caught on really quick and ended up playing double A, which during my time was the highest you could play. And uh, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Like, you know, looking back on playing at that level against guys who went on to you know make a living at it, um, it was a really neat experience.
0: That's great. And it's good to hear that you had a, a nice upbringing. And, you know, people always talk about the love of sport when you're young. And it definitely sounds like you had a, a number well, of experiences, whether it be basketball, yeah. volleyball, hockey, name it. Yeah. Um, so your initial listed coaching position is with Maxville in the EOJ CHL. Uh, was yeah. that your first involvement in coaching? And uh, on top of that, speak to your time in Maxville and uh, later with East Ottawa. Yeah.
1: So uh, Maxville was my first. Junior hockey experience, doing anything, and I moved back home to, or close to back home to a little town called Finch, and an old teammate of mine called me up when he found out I'd moved back and said, "Hey, I'm looking for an assistant coach, um, coaching junior C, and I played at that level back home back in the day, and and I thought, why not? And and he goes, it's a it's a struggle though, and like we have no." wins, they were like one or zero and 12 or something when I joined, I'm like, it's fine. Um, so I learned a lot in losing um, at that level. And it was funny because at that time, the team was in a little bit of turmoil in an ownership position that nobody really wanted the team because I think you know it just wasn't doing well. So um, a buddy of mine came in and, and bought the team and made me the head coach and we finished the season off uh, four and four. So we went 500 in our last eight games. The next year we put a lot of time and effort into recruiting and trying to make the team more competitive. Um, And we we succeeded that somewhat. And uh, I got a GM of the year award in my second year and then again in my third year. Um, And we ended up winning a division championship uh, a couple years later and you know going from a team that was you know 126 and one when we took it over to winning a division championship two years later was a, was a good feat um and then i went over to east ottawa because i lived in ottawa at the time and and that was already a, a strong program so uh their home rink was right beside Ottawa u so it was easy to get kids who were coming in from out of town and it was a little bit easier we lost in the finals that year in the playoffs so that was a good experience and um so yeah that's kind of what parlayed me my time in maxville is what got me into junior a um, it was through marty dash who's now the head coach owner gm of the ottawa junior senators uh, he also was assistant coach with gatineau in the queue this year uh, he says i need to rebuild hawksbury my dad's buying the team and I know you've been through it. So let's see if we can do it together.
0: That's great. And and you touched on obviously Hawksbury, uh, you transitioned there shortly after Um, maybe speak more to how that opportunity came about and uh, how was the transition to the CCHL?
1: Yeah. So it was funny. I was actually walking through a mall and ran into Marty at the mall and uh, he stopped me and he said, you know, Hey, my dad's looking at buying the Hawksbury Hawks and it's a you know they're they're a bad organization right now and <laughs> they think they had eight wins that year um, and he goes we need to rebuild it and I I loved what you did in, in Maxville, so we have to try and do the same thing in Hawkesbury just a different level and a bigger recruiting area are you interested and I said absolutely I'm interested that would be awesome and it was a long wait from that conversation to the phone call when the deal finally went through um, but it happened right before the draft so we had about two weeks before the draft started and that's where we kind of got to start the rebuild that year um and it just went from there it was a a lot more demanding obviously at a junior a level than a junior c level so it took up a lot more time but for a hockey fan and a hockey guy it was just that's much more engaging and much more of a A challenge right so that's what keeps me engaged in the game is the fact that you now have North America people are calling you it's a different game so yeah
0: that's great and uh, you know I I follow that league and that team and you've seen how uh, how they progressed over time so it's great to hear that you got that opportunity and I'm sure it was a, a fun experience starting off and getting to see it progress over time yeah um, so shortly after you, uh, once you got into that, uh, team, you assumed the role as general manager, uh, talk about the change in that role and the added tasks that came along with being a junior, a general manager, and additionally speak to your time, uh, you know, the, the duration of your time at Hawkesbury.
1: Sure. Um, so Marty left, uh, sh- maybe two years after we, we started together, he left for an opportunity in Ottawa. And so the GM role, I was helping him as an assistant GM and assistant coach for a year. Um, So the difference there was a lot. Like it it went from doing all the HCR, all the trades, all the camps, all the organization of everything, running the budget, uh, recruiting players, getting them all signed, uh, and then day-to-day, game-day stuff, making sure that was all taken care of. Um, and then trades, meetings, like it was, there's a lot that goes into the life of a junior AGM that's not glamorous, that takes up a lot of your time, Um, but it's essential. And um, so that was the bigger thing for me was putting in all that time. And then on top of it, trying to rebuild a program that hadn't quite got there yet when Marty left uh, to get it to where we wanted it to go. And it was good because in my first year as a general manager in Hawkesbury, we actually made it to the semifinals. So we, we did a really big jump, um, in the standings. And, uh, from there, it just progressed. Um, you know, when you win, people want to come to your program. So it makes recruiting a little bit easier. You're not trying to sell yourself as hard. You don't have to sell yourself as hard, uh, because people know who you are. And so, that really helped the program grow um and then it was just maintaining that balance right of make sure you're not losing money but make sure you're winning hockey games and try and be in the top end of the, the league if you can and it was a real balancing act and and it was a full-time position for me for a number of years because it, it demanded it and so it was a lot of miles on my car because it was like an hour and a 10 minutes one way to Hawkesbury from where I lived in Ottawa. Um, so I got to know that road real well, And uh, but it was fun. And, you know, along the way, I met a lot of great people. Hawkesbury is a, a unique little town. It's a French town on the Quebec border. Um, who are very passionate about hockey. And when you're losing, they don't show up. But when you win, the place was packed. Um, so, you, you, you know, had you had that extra incentive to put a winning program on the ice so that people were talking about the Hawksbury Hawks around town and people were showing up to the rink on a Friday night to, to cheer for the Hawks. And, um, you know, I, I met a lot of great people and, and a lot of great players went through that program in my seven years. Uh, a lot of them, you know, still talk to them to this day. And there's a lot of great stories over seven years, um, in, in Hawksbury for me, for sure.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it was uh, it was a lot of fun and, yeah. You, know, you, you see those players go through a program, be successful on the other end, and whether it's in hockey or they just you know come out better people, it's always fun. And and as you touched on the community support, you know with those with uh, those junior programs, it's always nice to have the fans there. And yeah. when you know when they're coming out to the games and the community's really behind the team, it uh you know it it, it adds a boost to the organization and on the 100%. ice and off the ice.
1: Hundred percent, and you can see it. And um, you know all of a sudden you get kids calling you from places that you just never thought you'd get a kid calling you from, from, like, Utah. You know, we had two kids from Utah on our team for two years, and, and it was because we got the one kid and they brought in the other kid. And they were both, like, the ones played in the National Hockey League, Daniel Brickley. Uh, and Daniel Brickley then brought along a buddy of his named CJ Stubbs, and CJ just finished his four years, uh, played D3, and then this year he played SPHL and got a few games up in the East Coast. Yeah. So, you're bringing in kids from Utah who are both playing pro hockey right now, like who would have thought to go to Hawkesbury? you know, Yeah. and you brought in, we had some kids from Florida once, and, and we did a team function, and they're like, hey, Ian, guess what we did this morning? I'm like, what? They're like, we built a snowman for the first time. I'm like, the first time this year? They're like, no, the first time ever. I'm like, I guess, right? You grew up in Florida. You'd never have snow. Yeah. So... You know, they got these 19 year old kids who just built a snowman for the first time. And it's just little things like that that are kind of unique. It's yeah. been a lot of
0: fun. Yeah. yeah and that definitely uh, propel you to want to do more of it and be more yeah. invested into it. Um, during your, uh, during your time, uh, you also spent a season as a director with hockey Eastern Ontario. Uh, yeah. how did you get involved with the board and uh, how was that experience?
1: It was good. It was really uh, different experience like i got involved through kevin abrams who's the commissioner but i was also like i've always known the guys that at, at HEO, which is what we call it um you know debbie rambo who's the uh, executive director we've always been um you know it's a, it's a tight-knit group and we all know each other and i've always had good relationships so a spot came open on the board and i was asked to join and so i did and it was a short term because they at the end of that they had actually restructured everything within HEO, so the board of directors went from like 19 down to seven so there wasn't a requirement for them but it gave you a really unique perspective on the political background of hockey within your area um, and it made you understand uh, the game from a, a grassroots point of view of why things are important for certain people when you're sitting up at a junior A level in a small area like Ottawa, um, why are things important to somebody in a little town of 400 people? Like, We don't really care to be honest, <laughs> and not in a bad way because it'll, just, it'll never affect us if a novice kid plays half-pipes or not. But you've got to understand why it's important for the game and and why they should be pushing for this and how it makes sense and how it betters the game and all these types of things. And So it was a really good, um, way for me to, to be involved, um, and, and give back, and uh, I enjoyed that time sitting on the board.
0: Yeah, others, uh, others on the podcast and for future podcast episodes, they touch on, uh, you know, early on or at some point in their career serving on a board, and they always talk about a great opportunity to give back and yeah. the different perspective it gives. because uh, you know, usually with a team, you're looking at winning and then you go on the board and it's more about the grassroots and the other side of the game, why you do it and, yeah. and how it should be portrayed. Um, so in 2017, you then moved into a new role as a general manager with the Canada Lasers. Uh, how did you gain that opportunity and how was the experience of moving into a new organization after spending multiple years in Hawkesbury?
1: So again, it was just a right place, right time. So I had moved to Canada in 2016. And I just happened to go to a CCHL, um, they hold a camp every year for imports and players that want to play in the league. So I just went to watch. It was literally just up the road in Canada. They hold it there every year. Um, and just in passing by the, the current one of the owners or whatever of Canada, I said, hey, you ever looking for a GM? I just moved to Canada just at a passing by in a restaurant. And he goes, yeah, yeah, okay. So never thought anything would happen. Uh, and then the current GM at that time stepped down, literally like two weeks later. And I got a call saying, hey, remember when you said this? Said, yeah, he goes, well, we're looking now. I'm like, perfect. So I went from driving an hour and 10 minutes to Hawkesbury, the general manager, to now driving about eight minutes to the rink in Kanata, which was awesome. Um, so that's how that opportunity came to be. And, uh, it, it again was another team that needed a a culture change. It needed a a kind of a rebuild, uh, both, you know, on and off the ice. It just needed a good overhaul. And, uh, I got to walk in during their very first camp of that season. So I got to see the players coming in, interact with the current coaches, all that kind of stuff. Um so it was good it was good timing. Um and from there I, I just started making all my moves and uh you know that I, I told the owners at the time I said listen my goal is to make the playoffs every year I'm here because it's been a really long time that Canada hasn't been in the playoffs. Uh it was nine years in a row, I think. And sure enough, every year that I was there, including this one, which we didn't get to actually play in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, we were in the playoffs so it was you know I'm glad that I got to keep my word to the owners at the time and uh, achieve those goals and uh, and go from there
0: yeah that that's great that it went uh, you know you come into a team and obviously the the results that they wanted weren't there and you were able to uh, you know come in and help them make the playoffs and and then an added bonus for you obviously being close to home and yeah uh, you know, I'm from Newfoundland and I got an opportunity here to do some work with Newfoundland and we won uh, there in ECHL. But uh, even just that feeling of being able to, uh, you know, be close to home and do do what you love is is great and, uh, yeah. you know, not having to go all over the place.
1: Yeah, no, it, it, it helps. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely, definitely gets you more of a comfort factor. Um, yeah. So today you're now the general manager with uh, Nepean and are moving into year one. Uh, tell us about how that opportunity came about and how you moved into that role, and uh, what are you most excited for uh, looking into next year?
1: Yeah, um, so Canada sold this past season, so um, one of the guys who's one of the new owners was going to take on that GM head coach owner role, um, and you want to know if I want to stay on in some capacity, and they're moving to Renfrew, which is probably 50 minutes away from Canada, and I was not interested in doing the drive anymore. Um, so I, I declined and um, approached Nepean and they thought about it and they said, yeah, that can be a good fit Napean's only 15, 20 minutes up the road. So um, they thought it was time for a bit of a, a change and uh, to have some additional help there and, and so it just all seemed to work out. Uh, not much different rebuilding the Depean Raiders, the approach that I'll be taking, than in Hawkesbury or in Canada. It's figure out what's working, keep it, figure out what's not working, get rid of it, um, and, and try and create a culture that the, the players want to be there, they want to win. It's not just, hey, here's my, I get to wear the jacket. It's a pride in, in doing what you need to do on the ice and moving on to the next level um and and i think we're doing a good job in in doing that so far this summer under the current circumstances it's been an odd summer in that in the summers typically guys will be a little bit more open to trades and open to movement of players and because they have camps and they see 50 60 70 guys you know in a month and and they think they've got lots of options so moving guys out is not a big deal this year's a lot different. Guys are like, "Well, I think I have my team made. And I'm not going to do any moves right now. Like, they want to hold on to what they have." And um, So it's been a little tougher making deals, but I've been able to do a couple so far, which I think has helped out. I brought in a couple kids from Canada who I knew, uh, which makes me feel comfortable bringing them in. Uh, brought in a couple coaches from Canada who I've known now for a couple years. Again, I, I understand that. They're bringing what culture they're bringing in. Um, and, you know, we traded for a 20 year old goalie, which he was probably one of the top three goalies in our league last year. So when you solidify that and, and you bring in some older, experienced guys I, with the young core of guys that McKeon had, I think it's going on the right path to what we want. And it's just making sure that the dressing room is cancer free and built with the right kids that want to be there all have the same goal.
0: That's a great philosophy. And and you touched on maybe the uh, extreme circumstances you're dealing with now, obviously with COVID-19 and, and it's a, it's maybe a new opportunity, maybe an opportunity for you to try some new things and a new approach or to get ultimately the same end goal that you want, but yeah, definitely can't be uh, easy navigating through that. No. Um, So a listener came up with a great question. Uh, He's wondering about coming into a position such as this, uh, which we've done in the past, obviously. What initial steps do you take in the first few weeks to understand the culture and find possible areas of improvement? And then also, is this task more difficult in the off season or in a situation like we currently face?
1: Yeah, it's, um, you have to analyze a lot in a really short period of time because you don't have a lot of time to rebuild something over the summer. You may think, oh, you got the whole summer to do it, but it, it whittles away pretty quickly. Uh, and then not being able to go and have a camp and not being able to go and scout, uh, it makes things a lot tougher. And you're relying more on your network and your relationships with guys to see if you can trust in players that they're promoting to your program. Um, the, the key there is seeing, you know, finding the guys that have been around for a while, trusting their knowledge and Getting their input as to what was going on. Well, and what wasn't working and then trying to change that and using things that have been successful for me and our programs in the past. So in the P.N., you know, unfortunately, the coaching staff left Um, So I I got to rebuild the coaching staff, which I think was a, a good thing in that They are guys that I know um and I know exactly how they work and they know how I work, which is an important thing as well. So having trust at the top and coming down that way, um, the players see that. The players can like the players are the smartest guys in the rank. let's you know they can they know when things aren't going right somewhere they know when things when, when guys are solid, they know it when guys aren't solid, they know it. Um, so having a group at the top that's solid, they can sense that they'll understand that, um, and and that's where I think it really starts. And uh, it, it's it's going well considering what the circumstances are. Um, I've had to lean on a few advisors and, and agents, and um, you know, go to video a lot more. Um, of games that they've played over the past uh, season to to get a different perspective. Um, And yeah, just using networks of other coaches and things like that and other GMs that their thoughts on players um, because that's all we have at this point.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think you made a couple of great points there. One being the aspect of familiarity, you know, whether it be players that you're bringing in from a prior organization or or in your case, build, rebuilding the coaching staff. I think that's good. And then as well, talking about the players, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to the players and they and they know what works and what doesn't work. And um, I guess the main goal is to build a system around them that they can succeed in and, and let them do their thing because they, uh, obviously, at the end of the day, it's, it's up to them to yep. uh, take the tools that you supply and then, and then put the result on the ice. Yeah. Um, so... You've spent some time as general manager at the junior A level, and uh, while you've yet to have a full season with the Raiders, uh, walk us through a typical day or even week in a position of GM, uh, maybe mid-season, as we've talked a lot about the off-season.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of different ebbs and flows in a season for a general manager. Um, obviously, if it's you know COVID-free year, uh, August is a really busy month because that's when you're prepping for camp. You've got a bunch of guys coming in. You're setting up billets. Uh, you're organizing your camp, scheduling exhibition games, getting the equipment fitted, um, all that kind of stuff. So it's getting everything and, and collecting payment from the players. Uh, it, it's a really busy two, three weeks. And then typically we'd have a showcase in the CCHL. So it was kind of one of those things Like once you got to game one showcase, puck hits the ice, you're like, you feel good. Yeah. Um, and you knew the season was started and you could kind of take a breath. The typical from there is just making sure everybody's good. You know, are the players good? Are the new guys fitting in? How's their billet going? Uh, are they understanding the systems? How are they keeping up? You know, you're watching for, you know, gameplay improvement. Do we need to add anything at this point? Are we lacking size? Are we lacking maturity? Are we lacking goaltending? What are we lacking? What can we try and tweak along the way? Um, and then we, have, we always have monthly meetings with uh, the league. So those are something that you have to attend. Um, you know, and you're at the rink two, three days a week for games, you're on the road, um, and then there's practices. So it's, it's always just a kind of a fine tuning management type of thing as the season's going on. Seeing what you need to improve, um, seeing, and you never know. Like, the, so many things come up in a season, Ryan. Like, I could tell you stories for hours about just the different things that happen in the hockey season. And it can be from, you know, a kid's heartbroken because his girlfriend dumped them, to can't get to the rink because the car broke down, or they have no money because they blew it all wherever. Like, it's so many different things that you have to deal with. and. Um, and then there's sometimes there's the parents and sometimes there's the agents and the advisors that are always calling as well and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not and and that's just everybody's perspectives, right like little Johnny should be getting three more minutes of ice time than you know other Johnny and who knows what and so you have to manage all these things and then there's always your game day operations your volunteers making sure that everything's good and your broadcasts are working and all this kind of stuff so it's a uh, it's a busier time than you would think, but when I've been, this will be year eleven for me, so it's kind of just natural now, which is good. I, I don't miss the frantic uh oh's of did I miss something in the early days. Um, now it's really a much smoother day to day for me, um, and, you know. And, and like I say, sometimes you don't do anything for two three days. Sometimes you know, like trade deadline day is one of the funnest days, because last year I sat in my office and we played that night. And I got to the rink, it ended at six o'clock and then we played at 7.30 in Smith Falls. So I drove from like 5.45, I left. and figured I was good. Um, And I got to the rink and I said, hey guys, check this out. And I took my iPhone and I scrolled all the way to the bottom of, as far as you could scroll. And that's where my day started, just in phone calls. And then I went to my text messages and it was the same thing. So my phone was full from just eight o'clock that morning till five forty-five that night. Wow. So it was uh it was a busy day, but it's all part of it and you get to talk to guys from all across Canada. Um, and it's sometimes that's the only day you ever hear from them, but it's, uh, it's still fun.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I like that you touched on all the different aspects of it. Uh... You know, at at the, especially at the junior level, you know, I've done some work in junior B and junior A and, and the ECHL and OHL and wherever you're to, there's always uh you know, you gotta be willing to do everything and anything to make it succeed. And you touched on helping uh, even, you know, coordinating game day and yeah, and, uh, the number of phone calls and deal with and and then obviously dealing with personal uh, and their players in their personal lives, sorry. Uh yeah. You know, there's so many tasks, it's not just you know, and- s- on the player let them play. There, there's so many tasks associated with it. There are. And you have
1: to, at this level, you have to have some humility to you. Um, you know, At least I have some, I think, because I've done things like I've, I've called games. We don't have a play-by-play guy. I jump on the mic. There's been times where I've walked into the dressing room and went, it, it's a disaster, and I go grab the mop, and I'll mop the dressing room because I don't want the players coming into a dirty dressing room. Mm-hmm. um so you just have to do those things so that it makes for a better overall experience
0: for everybody exactly exactly and and the the people that put in that extra effort and like you said mopping up the room i mean i've seen yeah. that uh you know those are teams that the players will think about when they look back and say you know that's the team i want to play for that's where i had my best success it's it's where every little detail was t- you know taken care of and you looked over everything and and yeah. obviously, the players enjoy that experience um yeah. So I spoke with people involved in junior hockey and they often speak to being around players during their teen years and moving into college, university, et cetera. You kind of touched on that a little bit there. Uh, from your experience, what's it like working with players at age at that age and touch on the excitement of people and, uh, you know, being a part of that transition during those development years, both on and off the ice.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's fun to watch, you know, um, we start drafting kids and, Bantam and midget. So they're 14, 15 years old. Um, and, you know, when you see them leave, sometimes they're 20. So you get to spend a lot of time with those guys. And it's fun to watch them grow uh, physically. You watch their game evolve. And, and when they have success and they achieve their goal, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Um, like I, the one that's been most recent for me is I drafted a kid named Charlie Levesque. And I drafted him in the first round. I can't remember what year, 2011, 12, something like that. So I remember being at the draft table and all my scouts, I'm like, first round, it was, we had the 11th overall pick. And I said, I'm taking Charlie Levesque. Charlie was a double A player and this is, we have triple A here, so he was a level below. And he was about five foot four, 130 pounds. And so my scouts are like, you yeah, no, like you can get him in like rounds three, or like I said, no, the way I'm running a draft is you take the player you want right away. He's the <laughs> player I want the most. So sorry guys, I'm gonna put my GM hat on and that's who I'm So we go up, we make the pick and the arena goes nuts because everybody knew who Charlie was. He was just a small kid who just never really got the chance but he was an elite player. And I could see it that like his hockey IQ was unbelievable. So Charlie goes on and, and Charlie decides he's going to at one point go and play prep school and he comes back at 17 and uh, I said, he's ready. I remember calling his dad and saying, Charlie's ready. Like he's going to play. and He's ready. And he was like, are you sure? Are you sure? I said, I'm 100% sure. Like, he's, he's ready. So he plays. That year he wins Rookie of the Year, all academic team. He gets a scholarship to UMass Lowell so he's now finished his third year at UMass Lowell this Christmas break we took a CCHL all-star team down to UMass Lowell and so we got to see Charlie again and it was great because after the game I went to look for Charlie meanwhile Charlie was looking for me
0: at the other end of the ring because he thought I was going to walk off I thought he was going this way and I feel a tap on my shoulder and he's like Ian and
1: so we posed for pictures at center ice together and it was just like, you know, it was, you could see the, the, the enjoyment of seeing a familiar face from a kid away from home and just the, the appreciation. And, and for me, it was the, the pride in watching this kid grow up and do what he said he wanted to do. And, and it's just a great feeling. And there's so many of those stories, like Daniel Brickley is another one where he came to Hawkesbury and he was extremely overweight uh he was an unknown because he's from you know Utah and I talked to him this summer and he was sitting in LA um and he's he's like I'm like what are you doing Daniel and he goes I'm actually sitting on my deck Ian and he shoots me a picture of what he's looking at and the ocean is just in the background and he's sitting there with you know his two roommates and they're NHL guys and it's like wow like good for you kid like this is amazing and There's just so many of those stories that kids, when they succeed, but they're still like they still remember where it started, and it's a great feeling. So it's always fun to run into your former players and talk about successes. And it's you know, in my ten years, I've been fortunate to have a lot of those, and so it's always good that they come to you and they they come up and they say, "Hey, how's it going?" And hey, remember that time? Remember that time? It's always just good times.
0: Yeah. And having those, having being able to look back and say, you know, I played a part in getting that player to where they were today. It's uh, is definitely something special. And, and we hear it time and time again, when people reflect on uh, their management roles and being involved in that experience. Um, so recently you had some posts on LinkedIn, which is where I first, uh, you know, got to know yeah. you a little bit. I kind of read through those and was yeah. intrigued. Um, so they touched on some experiences that you had as a general manager. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we just discussed one uh, with one of your former players. But looking back on your career, touch on some of your favorite moments or memorable interactions to date.
1: Yeah. Um, one of my favorite, favorite stories – well, I've got a bunch. But one of my favorite was we were in the, fin- in the semifinals against Cornwall, which is close to where I grew up. And um, our head coach at the time got kicked out, got suspended. So I had to go on the bench and actually coach. Um, So we're in Cornwall. It's a packed rink. And I'm sitting here trying to coach. And I know I've got buddies in the stands watching and all this stuff. And we're in a tight game. It was going into the third period. um, We were tied at three. And my top scorer was atrocious defensively. And, like, he's going to cost us a goal. So I, I ended up benching him for, I think, about 18 minutes of the third period. And, you know, you know, in a tie game, that's probably not the right thing to do maybe, but I felt like it was. So he actually – and he's a, he was a champ. He sat at the end of the bench. he's like, oh, I get it. Sat there, never said a word, still cheered on the guys. After the third, we're still tied. We go in the room, come back out. We get a power play about four or five minutes into overtime, and I walk over to the end of the bench, and I touch him on the shoulder, and I lean down, I said, hey, go do your job. He goes, okay, gets on the ice, goes out, scores the game-winning overtime goal after having sat a period and a bit, <laughs> and you know, and I ran into him this year at the rink, and we talked about that story. Um, so it was an amazing feeling, um, and, and for me, it was one of those moments where, for myself, I'm glad that I I, I had the discipline to do it, but I'm also glad that Stephen had the appreciation for what I had to do and and acknowledged it and appreciated it. Um, so that was that was great, and we won, so which was always good. Um, but I mean, for me to be honest, when it comes to being a general manager, my big thing is I'm a player. Like, I've always been a hockey fan, and I've always enjoyed meeting NHL guys. And, like, I I used to do that many, many moons ago, before I had kids and did junior hockey. I used to go meet players at the hotel and talk to them. Um, So now, as a general manager, you get to meet them all the time. And it's, like, that's how I know I'm still engaged. Like, my phone rings, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's so-and-so. And I get all, like, excited to say, hey, how's it going? Because he was somebody I watched growing up, so as a fan, that's what right. I, I really do um, enjoy about it. Um, I have to really rein myself in internally to not be like "Holy cow!" Um, or ask for autographs or anything like that. <laughs> Just I have to be like be professional. And in. uh, but inside, I'm like, "Wow, this is awesome!" And uh, like the guys you get to meet and. And and now I have you know I have a son who's a super huge hockey fan and he's he kind of like you talk to who you talk to who and uh, like I'm a big Red Wings fan and I have a message from Igor Larionov and play it for him and he's like holy cow and I'm like yeah wow like it's one of those things where that still keeps me excited um, so for me those types of interactions I find are really neat and. Then you have the flip side where you have the players and you have the families. And the families have all sorts of different stories and different backgrounds. And you know, some of them are just some of the greatest people you'll ever meet. And um, you know, I I love the Newfoundlanders. It's not <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you know, for sure. Yeah. I, I do. I've had a few of them. Like
1: Brandon Bassi was awesome. Like he was just amazing um and uh they're just a good down-to-earth always hard-working guys they keep it real and they're hilarious and they they're just great if you can have them on your team i would i love having guys from newfoundland on the roster because they're just salt of the earth and they ground everybody and uh so i've, I've been able to have guys from all over and it's been a great, Great experience from that perspective. It's one of those things I don't take for granted. I think I'm very fortunate to be able to meet people from everywhere and talk to them and and see all these different ways of doing things. It's uh, it's, it's been a real uh, a real fortunate thing for me. I think.
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it when you said that. You know, you get to meet so many different people, and a lot of people in the industry that's what they they really gravitate towards. is It's a community, whether you're at the NHL level or you know, you're at senior hockey where, where I got my first start, you know, you're, you get to interact with all these people and whether they're hockey personnel or players or just their families, uh, everybody has a story and, and the more people you can interact with and talk with and, and learn more about them, the more enjoyable it is for you. And it's definitely something that as you go longer in the industry, you still can get engaged that way. And and you know that you're obviously in the right place, uh, doing the right thing. Uh, so a lot of times people learn from those interactions and another way to learn during this time with uh, COVID-19 is through online things such as webinars or, or books and articles, et cetera. Uh, what are some of your favorite sources to reference for different ideas or just to stay engaged?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I do enjoy LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn has a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives. Right. Um, and that's what kind of prompted me to write a few things. Cause they were, I think they were different perspectives of how to look at something. Um, I really enjoyed um, 11 Rings by Phil Jackson, his approach to coaching different types of people and different types of personalities and how he was able to, um, you know, he could engage Michael Jordan, but he could also engage Dennis Rodman, who were two completely different personalities. Um, and then he goes on to the Lakers and he has to deal with Kobe and Shaq and Fisher and all those guys and just how he transformed himself to this guy who could deal with different people but get the most out of all of them Um, that was a great book for me Uh, and then I enjoy you know you enjoy sometimes you have to keep it light and you listen to spitting Chicklets and stuff like that Um, that kind of stuff just keeps it light but they also have you know some interesting content that gives you a different perspective as well. Yeah. Um, So, and then I always peruse whatever articles are coming up through hockey news and stuff like that, just to see what their thoughts are, agree or disagree with them, whatever, but at least it's content to read when there's nothing to watch.
0: Yeah, for sure. And (laughs) a lot of times, you know, that, that content that you look at uh, during a time like this, you know, you're not sometimes you're obviously learn looking to learn something new, but sometimes you need to read those articles that you don't necessarily agree with to, help you know transform your own critical thinking and and that in turn creates new ideas um so let's just uh you know look back at your career as a whole Uh, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned throughout your time in hockey
1: um i I think it's it's always always keep learning um like never think that you know everything if you've been in the game for a long time the game changes all the time and I've always wanted to learn different things so I always listen to how different people are doing things and um and then just take my spin off of that and you know there's been a lot of good people in my uh, career that have given me lots of advice and and you want to keep seeing what teams at higher levels are doing so you can learn from them that's one, probably one of the biggest things is don't ever become complacent or ever think that you know everything because you've been doing it a long time because you'll become a dinosaur pretty quick um, if they take that approach. The other thing too is you know never never judge a book by its cover because sometimes you look at a kid walking into a rink thinking, not a chance. Or sometimes you look at a kid and think, wow, he'll probably be a player, and they're not or they are. So you always give people the opportunity um always you know take a good look uh and understand where they're coming from like just don't make snap decisions based on something always kind of do your homework and think you know are they sluggish because they drove eight hours are they like they need a different they need another day or two and and giving kids ample opportunity to prove themselves or disprove themselves and um, that way you can always say that you're fair in the process and, uh, and I think that
0: goes a long way. Yeah, those are great lessons. And obviously that comes from going through the experience and, and learning what works and doesn't work and, and then doing the evaluating how, uh, how things play out. Uh, so with that experience, you know, mentors are people that push that experience to others around them. Uh, who are some mentors who helped you get to where you are today?
1: Um, I had quite a few. Like, um, you know, the, the one guy who started me out was Marty Gagnon. Um, and, and Marty, I learned a lot early on and his way of thinking, um, it was always a little different and, but he's obviously had some great success with it. And, and I think I took a lot from how he looked at things. Um, I got time with, with Sheldon Keith and, and he always had a different perspective as well. And so you kind of take those two and and you look at things. I spent a lot of time too with Sean Anderson and Hawksbury and, and Sean had a really great unique story He's a first round pick in the NHL and he played all over the world. And, and he always had a different look on things too. So when you look at people from different walks of life and how they're looking at things um, and, and you teach yourself how to do it um, within how they work, you end up molding yourself to be uh, somebody who can actually evolve with the people around you and then find your own niche way of doing things so those three guys were, were very good uh, helps for me in my career. Uh, I've obviously been around lots of hockey guys, we just kind of listen to them and our league is chock full of, of good hockey minds and we are fortunate enough to meet every month and you hear them talk and you hear their perspectives and it's a learning process all the time. You're always taking in information and um, just kind of thinking, well, that's a different way of looking at it, but they're not wrong. Um, and you can understand why they're coming from that way. So that's kind of the way I look at everything. Why are they thinking the way they're thinking, and how does that relay into what I'm trying to do in the organization Organization I'm in? And can I take something from that, or can I not, and, and kind of go from there?
0: Yeah, I think that's the beauty of the game. You know, every day you're interacting with people, and whether, you know, they're directly teaching you or not, you still learn something from them, and just, you know, bumping shoulders with people, you you pick up different things. Uh, so to finish it off, I got one final question I ask everybody if you could provide one final piece of advice for someone to look to, uh, you know, someone who's looking to one day be in your position, uh, what would that advice be?
1: Uh, funny enough, I had somebody ask me that probably about two weeks ago. And so I took the time to write them back and say, here's, don't try and start too high. Don't, um, everybody wants to walk in and start at the OHL or start at the AHL or to get your feet wet at a low level, but be successful at that level and treat every level that you're at as your NHL. So don't be in a rush to move up. Create that league is your NHL. And you want to be the best within it. And if you take it that seriously at every level you're at, people will notice that and want you at their level. Um, I think that's the way to look at it. I know everybody wants to move up in the game, um, but sometimes you have to realize that there's, everybody has a cap. And as long as you're treating every level that you're at as your cap and looking if you move up, that's great, and putting everything into it, the, that's how you're gonna have success. Getting in sometimes takes putting in some, some grunt work hours and uh, yeah. you know, and, and working your way up internally um and but you have to do it and uh it's not just pop dogs from day one and uh but you learn a lot from doing that
0: yeah i think that's a very uh great piece of advice and it's very truthful in the way that you know everybody has the dream of being an angel general manager but uh you know the people that do make that level often there's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes and and sometimes you got to uh, you know just bury your head and yeah and do as best you can at the level you are and you know hopefully one day you uh you move up to the next level or or you have a great career and a lot of fun along the way uh ian i just want to thank you for taking time to come on the podcast and uh wish you all the best moving forward and uh, best of luck in your new position this year perfect thanks for having me it was fun yeah for sure all the best thanks I'd like to thank Ian for coming on the podcast and sharing his story with such honesty and with an immense amount of detail. As I mentioned before, his role in the CCHL offers a different perspective to hockey operations on the podcast. So again, I'd like to thank him for joining me on this episode. If you would like to get in touch with Ian to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact Podcast at Outlook.com and I can look to make the connection for you. Next on the podcast, we have Daniel DeShane, Assistant Director of Scouting with the Sioux City Musketeers. Daniel is a great speaker and presents an interesting path to his current position, which included stops in soccer and other roles, so be sure to look for that episode once it's released. As always, I'd like to thank everyone for the support and for continually engaging with the podcast through social media and with me personally. Once again, thank you for listening, stay safe, and all the best.